Welcome to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Kim is a psychotherapist and executive director of ICU Talks, a mental health speaking ministry. This is a podcast about how to flip your lid and learning how to reconnect to who you really are. All right, listeners, I got to tell you something. We're doing something a little bit different today. We have two beautiful, amazing women who are going to be a part of Flip Your Lid. And so we've got my friend Crystal here, and she started Brave Step. And then also her case manager, Yetin Liu, is with us as well. And so this is going to be really, really special. My goal is to not cry or reveal too many personal things to y'all. So let's just put that out there. But let me tell you about Crystal. She's the founder and executive director of Brave Step. As survivor of sexual abuse and assault, Emmerich found hope and healing through her own experience in therapy. After a long and healing journey, a passion for helping adult survivors, she found relief, was born in June 2011. At that time, the Eastern North Carolina native made a commitment to help survivors and their loved ones identify and receive quality trauma care and find connection with those who understand. Brave Step officially incorporated in 2014 with a mission of strengthening adults impacted by sexual abuse by providing meaningful steps on their healing journey. She is a graduate of UNC. She's a Tar Heel, y'all. I mean, she's super smart. She got a Bachelor of <laughs> Arts degree in History and Political Science. She resides in Concord, North Carolina with her husband, son, son, and dog. And dogs are the best thing that God did. So we're so <laughs> glad to have her. She's the founder of Brace Up With Us. We also have Yetting Lu. She's the case manager. And she's a licensed clinical social worker. Significant experience in case management. She's worked with a number of, number of nonprofits in Boston, Los Angeles, and D.C., including working directly with survivors of trauma such as domestic violence, sexual assault, human trafficking. She's drawn to helping others to navigate hardships and obstacles in order to reach their goals and potential. She utilizes individualized strength-based approach when working with clients. She's a master's in social work from the other USC. She's not a Gamecock, y'all. We have a moment of prayer about that. She went to the school I could never get into, University of Southern California, and she had a concentration in community organizing, planning, administration. She also, listen to this, I don't know why she's talking to me. She has a BA in psychology and a BS in elementary education from Boston University. She's super smart. I'm going to behave today. She recently moved to Charlotte and has been getting to know the vibrant Queen City with her family. She decided to have his roots here in Charlotte with us. She has a husband, a daughter, and she also as a dog. So to both of you, so, so grateful that you're spending time with me today. Thank you for having us. It's great to be with you, Kim. Yeah, I really appreciate it. So we're going to start with Crystal um, because, you know, you and I go a little bit back. We've known each other for a while. We've done a, a, a podcast together before, and I think I cried through the whole thing. So thank you for making me an Enneagram 8 cry. So way to go on that one. Um, but I love you. I love your story. I love how you took it and you brought new purpose to it. So let's just start with where I always start. And this, please tell us about what happened that flipped your lid, that disconnected you from who you really are. Tell us about what you did, what measures you took to reconnect to who God says that you are. Oh, I feel like I've, my, my lid has been flipped more than once, to be quite frank with you. And yeah. as soon as I think that I've got my lid on secure, he tells me it needs to be flipped again. So yeah. um, I'll give you the beginning story and then okay. we can add to if we need to. But, right. um, you know, my my story, at least to what I'm doing these days. So I was uh, sexually abused from approximately the age of three to about the age of 13 by mm. a very close member of my family. And I looked up to this person. I spent a lot of time with him. And, you know, especially early on, you adore. You you don't Mm -hmm. know that these things that are being done and the touches are bad. And, you know, we didn't really have this good touches, bad touches conversation uh, when I was a kid. So I I just didn't know. And over the course of those 10 years, just endured a lot of unspeakable um, things. But those things marked my life in a way that I I still feel even... um, well over the age of 40 now. Um, But when I was about 13, that sense of shame and that sense of responsibility and guilt uh, really overtook me. And and I I do believe he had a hand in in trying to, you know, urge me to come forward. And I told my mom, um, driving down the road, poor thing that she was driving when I happened to to blurt this uh, Mm. truth out that I had been abused for all these years. And we did 
the best we could, not knowing, um, but we we addressed it, the abuse stopped, and we locked it in a closet and moved on with life, or so we thought. Mm. When I was a sophomore in college, my uh, roommate had a friend who was uh, inebriated and needed somewhere to crash, and unfortunately, that ended up um, being on me that night, and it mm. was just another layer of that trauma that resurfaced um, and, and just, again, more pain and more shame that got, you know, piled on top of an already very deep bucket of pain and shame. So when I moved to Charlotte, I think that was when he started to flip my lid because I was, Kim, I was in such a bad place. I was very hateful towards myself. I was coping in whatever mechanism I could, particularly alcohol, um, a workaholic, a perfectionist, you know, those things still are um, kind of in my closet sometimes. But I just, I was honestly on my knees. I was in such a bad place. I was desperate for hope and desperate for an out. And I remember I was at my doctor's office and I, I kind of whispered because this is not a really, you know, a topic that you scream at the top of your lungs, but I said, I need help. <laughs> and she handed me two business cards and she said, I, I don't know anything about these therapists, but good luck. And, and I happened to call one of them who uh, ended up being my therapist for 10 very long, painful years mm. of trying to heal and, um, and recover. And I think it was all glory to God that he pushed me to make that phone call to ask mm. for help. He pushed me through the door the first day I stood outside of it and, and mm. fear had me stop still. And then he pushed me through those. I can't even tell you how many times I left a session saying, I'm never going back there. And right. he pushed me right. back. And I think that was my, probably my biggest lid um, that was flipped over the course mm-hmm. of these years. But he continues to surface in lots of ways to tell me that I'm not done healing or evolving or becoming the person that I'm supposed to be. Yeah, this is so, so beautiful and powerful. So, you know, can you talk a little bit about, there's such a truth in re-victimization and it's such a hard thing to talk to. You probably know about this with, with patients about of that the likelihood once you're molested of other things happening because of, it has to do with body chemistry, has to do with our brain chemistry and we carry ourselves differently and there's re-victimization that happens. So just even how you dealt with that, how that, right? Like it's, there's, there's no more, it's always compound is my point after that. Right. I never learned, and it's something I've only had to start learning in, in the life, that I have a choice. I have an ability to say no. And that wasn't really something that I was taught growing up that, that I can speak out. And so when that second re-victimization happened, I, I, I dissociated. I know that, you know, through therapy mm-hmm. I, that I was, mm-hmm. I was an observant of what was happening. But honestly, I didn't kick. I didn't scream. I didn't do all these things that I wish I had in my mind, I wish I could have done. Um, I did what my body had always been taught to do, which was just shut up. The sooner you do, the sooner it'll be over with. And yet that layer of, again, a, a chance of having power and, and not taking the power because I didn't know how to. Um, and, and then that walk of shame the next day, I remember walking on campus and I knew where that group kind of hung out. And this amazing sense of shame and Mm. embarrassment like I did something wrong you know that's the interesting part of sexual violence right it always puts the blame and the shame on the survivor never the perpetrator right interesting yeah and we have a society where victim blaming is so Mm -hmm. incredibly acceptable it's it's absolutely overwhelming in that you know, and Yenny, you can speak into this, but, you know, we, we when there's a the level of trauma. We go into dorsal vagal, like it, there's an internal collapse mm-hmm. in that people disassociate out of absolute survival. And first of all, we should never be in a situation we have to say no that strongly and have to kick and scream. But your body protects you. You're, you have a physiological response about your vagus nerve that causes you to disassociate. Mm-hmm. And I know that perpetrators might not have those words, but they shall capitalize on the fact that that's what our body does. Yeah, and would you speak into that, like how you explain to people about how we go into dissociation and and that does not mean we're, that we're complicit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and like you said, the re-victimization, the cycle of violence, it's it, it seeps into you and it, it gets into your body and your body remembers all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, um, you know, when Crystal or other other survivors, when they when they talk about 
I wish I did this. I wish I did that. Yeah. It's yeah. really important to remember you did the best you can. Your body did the mm. best you can. And mm. um, like you said, like all of that um, biological um, um, kind of reactions come mm-hmm. from your experiences. So, yeah. But, yeah. And, and it's your body trying to help you just live and survive. Exactly. You know, what's happening to it. And just to get in, just to jump in, for women to know, and this is for men because there are some men who are raped as well, mm-hmm. You will, your body will respond. Like, you mm-hmm. can be raped and become lubricated. That does not mean you're giving consent. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the biggest things I see with my patients that struggle with is that their body responded, whether it was their grandfather or somebody they were on a second date with, whatever it was, that your body is designed to do that. It doesn't mean you wanted it to happen to you. So Crystal I think had the a, second part of it. Sorry. No, please, please, please. The other part of it is, you know, um, for those who experience it at such a young age or it's a continued abuse, there's not only that physical reaction, but psychological too. Like mm-hmm. you want to be quiet because you know that's how you get through it. And that's all you know at this point without any support, any help. Um, and so that's why it's kind of important to um, for our message to get out, like there are organizations, there are people out there that you can reach out to and can start making the steps to to heal and recover and, and get out that situation. Yeah, this is an excellent point of the psychology of it that you're going to be quiet so that people in other rooms don't wake up because one, you're blaming yourself and you don't, again, you're in a situation you're not supposed to ever be in to know what to do. Mm-hmm. Right. I yeah. have who to trust. Yeah, exactly, who to trust. I always had these dreams of being this big, buff, brawn, like, woman that could kick some butt because that's right. what I think my alter ego wanted me to do in all these yeah. situations. But it wasn't – it's certainly not realistic because you guys know me. I'm not buff. But it's <laughs> just um, – it, it's not the – it's not my phys- my physiological training to be able to be that um, reactive mm-hmm. in that way. Um, but I, I agree. I think getting the message out to – even to young men. I have a four-year-old, and – you know, by the time he's 14, I can assure you, we've had some very brutal conversations about it being physical and and the importance of someone saying, absolutely, yes, I want to do this or no, or even there's a maybe there that you need to assume that that's a no, like mm-hmm. always assume a no until you get a verbal yes. And even they have contracts now I've heard in the high schools, they have like consent contracts that some kids participate in, which another conversation for another day right, right. But yeah but stay stay on that track for a second just because it really is like you're talking about that you weren't raised to say no you weren't raised to fight back and so how how do we teach our little girls yeah. you know how, how to be yeah. active you know in yeah, this exactly. and to, they, they were allowed to have a voice because i think even part of you know telling little girls they talk too much in the classroom like there's so many things that we're doing that is silencing people it leads to pretty intense suffering. Well, I know um, just, so I was born and raised in the South and, and we all know the culture of a Southern woman. You smile mm-hmm. and you hug and you say, yes, ma'am, and please, and thank you anytime you encounter anyone. And and that's as, as simple as, you know, a hug from a, a relative that you just may not be comfortable with. It was never, it was never taught to me that I could say no or I prefer not to. And I know that at least, we have a little boy and Yenting has a little girl, so it's a little different, but just giving someone permission to say, I'm not comfortable. Or an example right now is I don't want to sit on Santa's lap. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to give people, boys and girls choices. Mm -hmm. And we tell that to my son a lot. If you don't want to hug, you don't have to hug. You just have to tell us so that we, we can support that. But I also think Kim, it's, it's parents, being brave enough to have some honest conversations with their kids. And they're so afraid of talking about this or good mm-hmm. touches and bad touches or, you know, naming body parts. They're so weary of doing it. They just don't do it. And then, you know, you end up like me. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and it is, you're right. It's about teaching little boys too, that it's about teaching everyone because we, we, there's such a sexual shame that's out there. And so it becomes something that's never meant to be. And so it's, it's, it's equal rights of teaching, yeah. you know, that it's your body and that things, certain things are natural and this is when it's okay, when it's not okay. And saying, go hug your uncle is not okay. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. simple as that sounds, that, that, that is a strong message to tell someone to go hug somebody they don't have any intention and want to hug. Mm-hmm. And that's why this conversation is so important. It's, it really stems down to a huge cultural and societal change is basically what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think the Me Too movement was a great, uh, it, it really affected that kind of change. And we really started to um, be able to remove some of that stigma that's still, and it's definitely still lingering, um, but it's one step in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting about 2020, and I'd like to see it here, how it's happened within Brave Step, is that there's a lot more conversation about rape culture. There's a lot more conversation about gender scripting and things that we're doing that's leading to horrific things. And so I just posted on Facebook a few days ago a simple thing about that girls' bodies are not responsible for boys' thoughts. And so the dialogue within that was very healthy, People were asking questions, interacting. Of course, one person came along and said, yes, this is true, but girls need to cover up certain parts of their body. So I even take the time to explain to her the contradiction of saying, yes, comma, but girls need to. I just deleted mm-hmm. it because you, you're, you're nowhere near an understanding of responsibility. And that is why we have so much victim blaming because we don't know the difference between blaming and responsibility because responsibility and blame have never met each other. You know, what's interesting to me too, Kim, is, is the people that blame are the people that also don't know that the person sitting right next to them, their aunt, mm. their uncle, their mom, their dad, yeah. whomever is a survivor. And I think that, um, that disconnect of reality Sometimes I want to shake people. I want to shake them to realize that you say these things, but you're also saying them about those that you love that are right beside you that have gone through all of this. So I I think there's a a sense of uh, naiveness and and lack of knowledge. And I don't mean that to be mean, but I just think people don't know. They don't know and they don't choose to understand. And that I struggle with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, And and just realizing that, and y'all probably know the statistics, that if you're in a room of 20 people, that 17 out of 20, and it, and it does cross gender. More males are coming out and sharing mm-hmm. about what's happened to them. Like the majority of women have been violated in one way or another in their lifetime. It's, it's staggering. Mm-hmm. So what, what are you all seeing? Well, actually, share with them, Crystal, like how it went from you know, long-term molestation as a child and coming out and telling your mom about that and, and your parents' reaction to it, later being victimized, and then Grave Step is born. Can you? <laughs> okay, yeah. so that's flip your lid probably 23. Like, that's right. something on the, the long-term <laughs> list of flipping. So I was near the end of my healing journey, it, although I, it still continues at, at uh, significant rates, but I was at the end of that 10-year period of um, healing and I was sitting on my therapist's couch, the proverbial couch, and I was I was kind of venting to her because every time I turn on the news in the last however many weeks uh, prior to that, there was a rape on campus. There was an elderly woman in a senior facility that was getting assaulted. Like these things just kept bombarding me. And mm-hmm. um, of course, I know now that he likes to deliver messages consecutively until someone like me actually listens and hears. Yeah. But as I was sitting on the couch, I, I am, it is the clearest message I've ever gotten from God. But he said, go do something about it. Wow. And he didn't tell me, Kim. He didn't give me a script. He didn't give me a business plan. He didn't tell me who to start with. And so that sat with me for, so that was June of 2011, about three years trying to figure out what go do something about it meant. And, you know, I just started having conversations with people. I'm like, I have this idea, but I don't really know. But what do I do? And and, you know, those certain doors shut and certain doors opened and and people that I had no connections with suddenly became connections. And, mm. you know, it's it's certainly uh, we know how it all came to be. It's very little to me. I was just a pawn in the, the moving mm. things along. But, um, yeah, and then finally, in November 2014, we had an opportunity to do this program. And, and I was like, oh, and God had been telling me for for quite a while, probably a year, year and a half. He's like, I want you to jump off this cliff. Go do this. I'm telling you to do it. And I'm like, I am not jumping off this cliff. I don't feel good about my parachute right now. And it wasn't really meant to be like, I don't trust him, but I was scared. I was, I mean, to go into the world of doing sexual violence isn't exactly, mm. you know, you're not going to hit a home run. It, 
you will, but it takes a long time to, to hit a home run. And so, you know, after cliff, after cliff, after cliff, he kept telling me to jump from this chance came up to do this program. And I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to apply. And if we get in, I'm going to jump off the cliff. And of course, sure enough, we got in and I was like, oh, I have to jump off the cliff. I was so <laughs> right. Of course. <laughs> and so I, you know, I filed the paperwork and like three or four weeks later, like the fastest return ever on a nonprofit status, we get a notice that we're now a nonprofit. And I'm like, uh-oh, I got to really do this now. <laughs> so <laughs> it wasn't a very uh, beautiful way, but he has a way of continuing right. to push me until I listened and did what mm-hmm. he's told me to do. So yeah. um, that day on the couch, he definitely flipped my lid. And I, yeah. I promise you there's been a lot more time since then. Yeah, I'm sure. And so then how did you decide what the meat of the program was? Like what services you were going to provide for people? Again, I have another God moment. So, you know, I had been, while we were in this program, I'd been kind of struggling with, okay, we know we need to do counseling. We we are here are believers that counseling is instrumental in sexual violence, but I couldn't really wrap my arms around what it was and how it should look. So I was struggling with that. And the night this program had its public, um, performance I was sitting in the crowd and it was the coolest thing um so I'm supposed to be listening to these people and all of a sudden he starts laying out our program kind of our five options for care uh, that that Yenting can share about later but it was as clear as like a light shining through and I literally sitting in the audience I'm just like scribbling the notes down because I didn't want to forget it but he laid it out in a way that made total sense and I was like oh that's the moment that's what we needed to know and So again, like he just, you know, if, if I will slow down and listen and just be for a few minutes, mm. he usually delivers everything that we need. I just have to remember to do that first part. <laughs> right. Which is so interesting because that's so much a part of therapy, right? We get through trauma because we slow down. Yeah. All right. And so the program gets developed and we hear God a bit more when we slow down. There's something so much with that, which goes back to the workaholism you brought up, the productivity, all those things, which are part of self-harm, we have to put aside if we're going to we're going to connect. I'm still doing that though. I'm still working. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's one day at a time. Yeah. That's all it, we got. Right. You know, I, after all those years of therapy last year, last summer, I was sitting in church on a Sunday and um, he again spoke to me. He flipped my lid again. He said, you still have more work to do. And I'm like, mm. you know, I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like I did my 10 years. Like I'm doing good. And, and basically what he revealed to me is you still have a lot of shame issues. Like you still, mm. you can't love me more. You can't love mm-hmm. your family more until you learn how to love yourself. Mm-hmm. That's it right. was pretty, That's right. it still is quite painful. I'm still on that journey of trying to figure out how to do that. But, um, you know, I thought I was good. And then, yeah. you know, one normal Sunday in church, he flips my lid again. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. This is too hard. <laughs> is there anything... You can share about this tangible about how you've identified some of the shame because shame does block our intimacy with God. It doesn't block his intimacy with us. It blocks our experience with him, right? In the shame, anything particular that you've noticed that helped you to identify and get to a different place. So what kind of led up to that, you know, is, is again, constantly trying to work on my walk, trying to, to live, live fully, live the way we're, you know, we're, guided to live. And I kept feeling like I kept hitting a roadblock. And so that was one of my first, like first signs that something wasn't right. And when he started revealing, well, you still have a lot of shame that you have, um, you know, a lot of dislike of myself. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, when something goes wrong, it's an immediate, I blame myself. I didn't do it right. You weren't smart enough. The the list can kind of keep going. And those feelings just started rearing their ugly heads like tenfold. And I think that was so he could get my attention and I could listen to him. And so I've, you know, been doing some self-care work. I spent some time in a spiritual center to absorb what he's trying to tell me, but I'm, I'm still, I'm still working on that script rewriting and that's going to take a little bit more time. Yeah. Yeah. It's depth. That's good. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about your role and, and so people can kind of know if they are, a candidate for for Brave Step and the things that you're doing within the facility. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess going off of what Crystal said about those five programs, so um, basically it really takes into account um, that everyone has kind of like an individual healing journey, right? Um, that not everyone's recovery is a one-size-fits-all. So this idea of 
having these five programs or I like to describe it as like five points of entry allows survivors to kind of pick and choose what makes sense to them in their healing journey. And they're kind of the ones in power in, in, in making their pathway to healing, right? So the five programs are individual counseling, the group therapy, the um, peer support groups, the uh, empowerment and finding your voice programs. And so my role is basically to kind of guide them, be there to help them uh, make their selection. And I, I try to be very mindful that, um, you know, this, these are your choices. Um, you can feel free to say, no, I just really want to empower them to um, have them recognize that they get to make the choices. I can make mm-hmm. their recommendations, but they can say no. They can mm-hmm. say you know what, I don't need individual counseling. I want to do an art group. I feel like that would be best for my soul. And that is absolutely fine. Um, so so, so you, you from the get-go are, are using certain words intentionally because it is about choice. It's about being able to say no. It's about mm-hmm. that self-connection and self-empowerment. So it starts from there. Can you tell me, because so much of what happens is our voice gets silenced. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear about your Find Your Voice program. Yep. So Finding Your Voice programs, um, it really focuses on the survivor and in what space makes them feel the most safe to express themselves. Um, so that could be writing, that could be um, art, that could be cooking. We did a cooking one recently. Mm-hmm. That could be um, music that we're trying to... Um, uh, have that option as well. Um, so just allowing them to recognize that there's a lot of different things that they can um, try out to see mm-hmm. what best fits them and what will most help them find their voice again. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. So what does it take to be an individual therapist on your I'm a good therapist, cool person list? <laughs> well, our therapists are, are definitely very much vetted. Um, mm-hmm. They have to be interviewed by our board member, one board member and a, a advisory board member. Um, they have to fulfill certain qualifications that are um, that show that they have experience working with um, people who have experienced trauma and specifically sexual violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of them, all of them actually, are either specialized in um, EMDR, in IFS, um, Mm -hmm. one of those evidence-based modalities that Mm -hmm. um, have been proven to help people with trauma. Yes, good. Those of you listening, if you don't know, IFS is Internal Family Systems created by Richard Schwartz, and it does a really good job of helping us understand our subpersonality, our subparts, and how to become integrated and become more congruent um, and become more of your essence of who you really are. So it's a a great thing, and I highly recommend that. So you are really, really thorough because people are already wounded, people are already hurt, just like Crystal, you finding the right therapist when you did. Like that's God's hand. Not all therapists are created equally, or not all therapists know how to deal with trauma. The other thing, Kim, too, especially because we're talking about God, it, you know, uh, religion does, or spirituality, religion does play a really big part in healing. Mm-hmm. You know, we um, as an organization, and this was intentional, and I did pray hard about this, we are not a religious organization. And part of that's because some people, unfortunately, were abused from within the church or my Preach, dad. Go was, ahead. Say it again. Say it again. <laughs> they were <laughs> abused from within the church. Yes. Or, you know, my dad was a deacon and he was mm. the, the epitome of a good citizen on Sunday. And then let's talk about what he did when we got home after church. Mm. And and that's not meant to be a reflection on spirituality. But um, I love the fact that people have the choice to bring it in with them and use it or, or they choose not to, or they have different, you know, religious beliefs. But um, one of the unique things, and I love how Yenting explains this better than myself, but, you know, yes, we offer these services and they're important, but the other part that's super cool that we haven't seen in other organizations is we're creating community mm-hmm. and it's a chance for survivors, whether that's through our mm-hmm. empowerment programs or art programs or peer support groups, like just to sit with another woman like we are right now and go, I get you and I'm with yeah. you, sister. And That's right. that 
that alone is empowerment. And it gives me chills to think about the, the change that you can see in people when you start to validate them. Mm-hmm. Um, one woman said in an event we did, I think this summer, she said, for the first time, I felt like I could speak my truth without having to explain myself, like to ha- without having to um, justify what she had been through. And that's, I mean, that is a value you can't, you can't mm-hmm. fabricate and you can't put a price on. Yeah, powerful words that she spoke. That's really good. Mm-hmm. How do y'all handle, because it is about community, right? Mm-hmm. It's why AA works. It's why 12-step program works, all that. And at the same time, how, how are you teaching or being careful or observant of trauma bonding? I'll let you take that, Yenting. Go, Yenting. It's <laughs> an interesting question. Um, we definitely, so because we have so many programs, um, I do make sure that I check in with um, like the, the therapist or the peer leaders or whoever is leading any of these programs um, and just make sure we follow up on uh, was anyone triggered in mm-hmm. these workshops? Is there anyone that we really need to follow up on? And from there, we kind of ensure that all the relationships that are being made are, you know, not trauma bonding, not right. like sure. just remain remain with those boundaries yeah no that's really good i would think there's a lot of boundary teaching yeah within right Mm -hmm. Uh, particularly for people who were who during their raising their early developmental years when the first imprints within their autonomic nervous system has to do with sexual molestation from a relative your ability to have boundaries and understanding what to share what not to share how close to get to somebody Mm -hmm. like you you have you're just you have reactive traits every it's really difficult. So I, I'm sure you'll see that very much within your, your well, groups. I, I experience it all the time as a survivor. I remember when my therapist handed me a book about boundaries and, and I'm like, that B word, I don't like it. I still, <laughs> I still don't really love it to be quite frank with you, but it's, um, it's so hard for us to create boundaries, healthy boundaries and to exercise that voice. And, um, and it's still, I mean, even with my husband in our relationship, I, mm. I, practice with him sometimes sometimes not very well and sometimes better but creating those boundaries is is really hard as a survivor I believe yeah Mm -hmm. it definitely takes times and um with guidance with tips and um just making sure that it's a safe space that they're allowed to kind of make those mistakes and be okay with it like that's exactly what um you know we're here for yeah tell me if there's something that comes to mind of like a really powerful moment maybe happened within like group therapy or something that you saw that just gave you that confidence that this this program is 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 on the right track have you observed any of that Mm, there's so many of those small moments right um the one i'm thinking of uh, we recently had um, an art group and it wasn't supposed, our group, you know, it's a peer-led group and the idea is just we build a project together, we create something together. Um, and we don't really go very deep into anything, but in this particular project, um, I don't know, everyone just, like that community, again, um, having that sort of feeling that everyone is safe and, you know, we're making this stuff together and it kind of refocus everyone's minds and, um one of the participants just brought something up that was um, that she's going through and she was going through a tough time and everyone just came together and Mm -hmm. um, just helped her realize like she's not alone in this, that she is open to reach out to us, that, um, you know, she wants to talk more about it. We're here for her. Um, And you could just see it in her, in her posture and the way that she was speaking that, you know, that moment really helped her. Yeah. Yeah, that's so beautiful. There was um, a, a survivor in their early years when we started peer group. Peer group was the first thing we could we started because it was easy and free. Right. And <laughs> I remember this in particular a girl who came in who's still with us. Um, but when she came in, she gave us a fake name. That was right out of yeah. the gate. And then she sat in a chair, like hunched in, and she, she wouldn't look up. Like this was pretty much her, her mm. um, face the whole time. And she wouldn't speak a word. And that went on for probably three months of doing peer support group. Then she started opening up just a little bit and then a little bit more and a little bit more. And I would say within a year, she, 
she was almost one of the most dominant voices in that group. And she, she sat up and we, um, she had a, a court case and many of our survivors actually went with her to the trial when she got a, a successful verdict. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, so we've had people with her on, on her journey and it's just the confidence that she has now. And to be able to watch that change was for me, it was like, all right, we're doing something good. Like keep it yeah. up, you know? And, yeah. and some days with this work and you know, this Kim, it, oh you need those affirmations because it's mm-hmm. hard and, mm-hmm. and it's challenging sometimes, but it's, very rewarding when you um, Mm -hmm. look at those small moments like Yenting was talking about. Yeah, it's beautiful. Because, you know, we brought court cases and helping victims follow through. And and it's one of the most difficult things because the system is not for the victim. And I've had two cases, and I was a probation officer for a period of my time, Yenting, you probably don't know that about me. So I had many cases there where slap on the wrist, Mm -hmm. where judges would say... I wouldn't do this to my granddaughter. You look and act like me to the perp. So I don't think you'll do it. Like I can't tell you case after case of just, you know, no conviction whatsoever. And then as a therapist, I've been able to walk through with two people from start to end where they actually, the perpetrator got a prison sentence, a long-term prison sentence. And it's, phenomenal and overwhelming to see the victory that these people get. Now, even if the person doesn't get convicted, it still might be the right thing for you to do. But it's so rare. And one person think of it, he's a, he's a male that was molested by a youth leader. Mm-hmm. And the way he was treated on the stand mm-hmm. was unbelievable. But he, he persevered in that young man who molested him got 18 years. Wow. And we don't see that enough. We just don't. <laughs> The system, I, I, my blood will boil pretty quickly when I think about our, our yeah. system and, and the way it's designed. And I think on this issue, in my personal opinion, I think the um, the perpetrator should be the one that has to prove that he's innocent as opposed Amen. to the victim doing it. Mm-hmm. In how many cases, as a child survivor or even a rape, do you collect evidence? I mean, I never mm-hmm. went for a rape kit test after I was raped. It wasn't mm-hmm. even... It didn't even cross my mind. And I'm not even sure they had them back then. But, you know, know, it's there's so many barriers that make doing the judicial system um, pushing people to do that. And, you know, we usually try to since we don't you know, that's not our specialty, but we do try to say, here's the information we have. Right. Think about this before you do it, because it is traumatizing, Mm -hmm. even if you get a successful victory. Right. Right. Well, the rape kit is traumatizing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Going for that after being raped and then having people for hours take pictures of your entire body and touch you. Mm-hmm. And it's just not set up for someone to be okay, which is another reason for your program. Because that's where the healing comes in and that's where the community comes in for people. I'm a big believer, too, that the more people we can heal, the, the louder their voice will eventually become. And that mm-hmm. might be in a... And just a family voice, you know, that I that I now have the power to tell mm-hmm. my son about good touches and bad touches. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that, you know, you're a little crazy like me and you end up, <laughs> you know, being much more vocal. But there's a lot of variances in between. But until mm-hmm. we can heal people, we can't give mm-hmm. them the power to then be an advocate or a change maker on this issue. And so that's really big deal for me is giving people that yeah. power. Yeah, mm-hmm. because that's what y'all were doing. It's just so because, because you know, I've worked with. A couple of people in particular I could think of who they, it is molestation by proxy. Mm-hmm. It's their sister. It's their, someone else in the household being molested by their father, by somebody else. And what they go through. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how excited I was. I don't know if that's the right word, but just relieved. I was relieved when someone came to me and it was molestation by proxy. And I said, I know exactly who to connect you to. Let me tell you about Brave Step. Let me tell you about people who are going to love on you, who will never say it's different for you. That you went through this too, and your body's still going through it as well. And so that's a beautiful part of your program. Y'all, y'all understand that so well. Yeah, I think loved ones, uh, and that's you know that's a broad group, but I think loved ones are a really missing piece of the equation for survivors and for themselves. And we we're doing uh, working on a project for for the loved ones, a much more in depth project. Mm-hmm. And one of the things um, the folks that we're working with keep reminding me, they're like, it's trauma. A, a loved one is having trauma. It's not secondhand trauma. It's direct. Mm-hmm trauma and we can't 
we don't need to label it as secondhand right. because it sort yeah, of diminishes good. the impact. And and I think that, you know, that situation and, and anyone, um, they need to be able to have the skills and the tools to care for themselves and mm-hmm. also care for that survivor. Otherwise, you know, we're only doing 25% of our job making a positive impact. Yeah, that's an excellent point. It reminds me of, of, of listening to Columbine High School victims. And one of the questions that they would be asked you know, once, you know, post, after like a year or two, I think they said that people would ask when they found out that they were a Columbine survivor is they would ask them, what part of the building were you in? Mm. And like, it doesn't matter. I was in the building. Right. What? Right. I think it's the same thing that if you're in the same household and that's been happened, yeah. like it, it is not, it's not secondhand. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what drew you into this specialty with the sex trafficking, with the sexual violence, what drew you towards this professionally? Um, I think I, I think my first time um, working with survivors, I think that moment I just realized how the, the spirit and the strength of these survivors are, is infectious. It really is like it. Crystal, <laughs> prime example. Right. Um, right. Just having that heart and that soul, it just and, and me being able to be a part of their journey and to help anywhere that I can, um, you know, that's something that I want to continue to do. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Is this is this type of field, being a psychotherapist, being in the psychology field, is that what you always wanted, or is it just evolve <laughs> over time with your 20,000 degrees? <laughs> To be completely honest, I don't consider myself a therapist at all. Um, I know I have the license to um, be able to be that position if I want to. But the reason why I like case management is because I'm there. I can see kind of like the tangible results and be there physically or Mm -hmm. virtually nowadays (laughs) to walk them through um, their whatever that they're um, trying to achieve and with therapy is, is kind of a slower progress and I'm not always there to kind of guide them, but um, yeah, that's why I like to be in this position. Yeah. Especially with being a trauma informed therapist, like it has to be a very slow process. Mm-hmm. Has to yeah. be right. There's no instant gratification. Instant gratification is my friend. Let me be clear, <laughs> but not when it comes to trauma informed therapy. Exactly. Right. As, as an organization, Brave Step, what is your biggest need right now? Oh, you know, I've had this question before. And can I tell you back then what my answer was? Yeah. It was money. That was my first. <laughs> is my it the first same question. answer? Do you have the same answer? Well, no, actually, I have a different <laughs> answer. And, and I'll uh, refer to who told me what the right answer was. It was God. And I, mm. had, I had been at this thing and I'd spoken and I, someone said that. And I said, well, money, of course. Like that solves all the world's problems, Right. And as I left, I was thinking about that. And he was like, no, you need an army. You need yeah. to build up an Amen. army of people. Amen. Because if we build the army, the money's going to come. Like, that's, yeah, that's, that's all good. fine. That's but good. one of the things we're working on and is building up an army. We call, we're calling them change makers. And it's people that, that come along and say, in whatever capacity, as a survivor, as a loved one, as a community, as an employer, whatever that role is, because there's a role for all of us. I'm going to raise my hand and say, yes, I want to learn more and I'm going to do something. I don't, each person that something's different, but I'm going to become a change maker. And mm-hmm. we're trying to build the army based on um, these, these power agents, these people that want to make change in some capacity. So, so yeah. that's my answer. I need an army. <laughs> I, but I, I love your vocabulary. I love the, you know, um, this, the power agents and people, you know, agents of change and just the mm-hmm. things of how you put it. Cause that's, that's what it is. Because really, people even taking a class that helps people understand part of what happens within a rape culture and what's happening to, to people, and then them saying one thing to somebody at Harris Teeter, mm-hmm. like that, that's the, that's the cascade. Like that's life changing for people. It really is. And we've heard from some of our survivors that, you know, as they started to heal and, and be validated by other survivors, they became. A little bit more brave and having that conversation with their husband. I, I remember this woman when I was early, and this is one of my people that I tested out this crazy idea about. Um, she was this dynamic, I mean, bold, brilliant businesswoman, and I admired her. And I took her my loose business plan, and she 
she basically busted my bubble. And she said, this is never going to work. Don't do it. And mm. like a week later, she called me and I'm, you're going to guess where this is already going. And she, she was a survivor and she yeah. was the second person she had ever told. Mm. She hadn't at that time even told her husband and, and her reaction was of course, you know, to, to lock up and, and to kind of shut down. And she called me a couple months after that. And she said, I finally had a chance to talk to my husband about it. And just that little bit of a shift and change to have a bold conversation with your husband, that creates change. And, yeah. and so I think that it's just amazing that we can give people the power and the validation to be able to have, you know, very important um, conversations. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Brave Step is in Charlotte, North Carolina, for those who are listening all over. Are there franchises, so to speak, of this? Are there other things that you know of? that are similar to what you were doing. I know it's unique. I know it's creative. And I'm not saying there's a replacement. I'm just curious. <laughs> you know, are other places doing things this beautiful and doing these type of programs? I, I don't know. I'm biased, of course. I mean, <laughs> there, for all, like all local or most local communities, especially the bigger, um, there are rape crisis centers. Those are mm-hmm. typically uh, great points of entry for counseling. Um you know, we, we're pretty particular when people call and ask for recommendations on therapists. So if you're looking for a private practice therapist in whatever market, and Kim, you can attest to this, mm-hmm. do your research and yeah. demand the very best. Like just because yeah. they say they work with trauma doesn't mean they actually work with trauma right. or work That's with right. sexual violence. But, um, you know, down the road, when, when that lottery ticket comes in or our army's <laughs> that big, maybe we could franchise our organization at, I would love to see that expansion because I think that um, I think the need is still so huge, and we're mm-hmm. not even we're not even knocking on the door um, community wise uh, in serving the needs. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just so true. So, yet is anything about Brave Step for our listeners that you want to make sure if they could hear one thing and you could kind of throw it out there, what would it be? Uh, well, Brave Step, I think. You know, we, when we talk about trauma treatment, it can be a scary word. And, um, but when you go through a program like Brave Step, I want to assure you that in some way you'll find some joy. Yeah. So absolutely. remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And so that I define trauma and I'm not the only one, this is not like unique of me, but that it's, it's a disconnection from your essence. Mm-hmm. Right, and so when there's when you're disconnected from your essence, who you really are, we will fill that crack with behaviors where addiction comes in and mutilation and different things come in. And so what's happening is we're taking the shame out of it and being able to see who you really are, and you're not what was done to you. And if some people listening, you're not what was what you did to somebody else either. But when we stay in that and believe that, the longer we stay there, the more shame that comes in, the more behavior comes in, then we really believe that's who we are. And Brave Step does such an exceptional job of helping people be on that journey and really just shed all those layers to find out that they've never, ever deserved what happened to them. And what they do deserve, Kim, is to have people that believe them and that yeah. can help them lay out whatever options of care are, are available and best for them at that point in time. And, mm-hmm. and just to say, I'm with you. And, and that might yeah. be in silence or it might be verbally, but I'm with you. And that is mm-hmm. that affirmation is so powerful. Yeah, it is. I appreciate that. And I just want our listeners to know, like, if it's just your uncle watched you urinate, that is molestation. If it is something that you think is benign because your cousin was younger to you when it happened, I need you to know the age doesn't matter. I need you to know what they do for a living doesn't take away what was done to your body. And that if you need a resource, that Brave Step is absolutely a safe, safe place for you to go. Absolutely. All right, I'm going to put you on the hot seat a little bit. This is how we end. Flip your lid. And so... This is what we do, people in group therapy, right? You throw them in the hot seat. So now, y'all, I'm going in the hot seat. So, Crystal, we'll start with you. So I'll, this is just be quick answers. So this is where we're going to start. First word that comes to mind when you hear the word clarity. Peace. What's that? Peace. Peace? All right. So if, same question for you. When you hear the word clarity, what do you think first? Um, hope. Hope? 
All right. Yeah. Yanni, here's a question for you. What do you like best about yourself? Um, I like that I am compassionate. Yeah. All right. Crystal, what do you like best about me? Just kidding. What do you like <laughs> best about yourself? You can answer that too. Humor. I'm fine with that. Like, what do you like best about you? <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> What's, what do I like best about myself? Yeah. You're asking the shame person to say something. Yeah. Like, and we're all three sitting in shame and we answered. We're, we're doing something. Oh, Go I for think, it. I think my drive and, and my vi- yeah. the, the vision and the drive to do mm-hmm. yeah. something to help yeah. other people. Yeah, that's beautiful. All right. Um, Yetting, what is your what is your favorite holiday? Uh, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. What is it about Thanksgiving that's better than Christmas? Just curious. I like it. Honestly, it's just one day. Right. <laughs> Christmas is just like the entire month. Right. right. <laughs> it should be really stressful. Yeah. So Thanksgiving is one day. There's a lot of great food. And pre-COVID, it was one day yeah. of family. Right. And that was it. And, it, and it's cheaper. You don't have to buy a bunch it's of cheaper. gifts. Yeah. Right? It's cheaper. <laughs> All right. So, um, Crystal, what's your favorite quote? Oh, Oh, that's a hard one. I, I wish I could remember the one on the front of our brochure. Um, it's from Maya Angelou that says um, mm. something like the, the greatest thing is the fear that's been left inside or it's something along mm. that. It's, it's yeah, what's it's locked good. inside is, is sometimes um, the best and the worst thing, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. All right. Last thing. Yelling, yelling this, is, this is for you. Favorite scripture. You can make something up. Oh. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll pass it to Crystal. Crystal, what's your favorite scripture? Well, I, and I actually have it on my necklace, a John 3.16. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's the reminder, right, of why we do all we do. So right. that's right. a good that's one right. to keep. It's a great one to keep. Well, both of you are great to keep. You're amazing people. Thank you for being on the front line. Thank you for the work you're doing. Uh, I thank you that COVID, your own trauma, anything, nothing has stopped you from <laughs> being vessels for other people and being there for for those who need it the most. I really appreciate that. If people were trying to find y'all, where would they go? Whether it's Instagram handle, website, where would you send them? Bravestep.org is the best first place. And then of course we are on Facebook, Instagram, but I think Bravestep gives you a great starting point um, as to how to connect with us at a deeper level. Yeah, that's great. That's great. All right, well, thank you both. I appreciate your expertise and your vulnerability very much. And to all you listeners, I know you heard many things today that flipped your lid. Also praying that you also heard something that helped you reconnect to who you really are. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Please subscribe, rate, and share. You can find Kim on Facebook or Instagram at KB Honeycutt. To get an autographed copy of Kim's book, visit butyourmotherlovesyou.com. Remember, no matter what, treat yourself well today. <laughs>